Hi, Kirby. Hi, Sarah. Welcome, Welcome to Los Angeles. Welcome, Glamgelinos. We hope you stay a while. <laughs> Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. All right, we have one of our favorite people on the pod today, I love this guest because she is an icon in the beauty industry. Beauty editor royalty. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and she's also probably like, stop treating me like I'm 100 years old or something. But that is not <laughs> what we're saying. That's not what we're saying, <laughs> Kelly Adderton. So Kelly has an amazing background in beauty editorial magazines. Maybe you've heard of a few of these publications. Vogue, Vanity Fair, and of course, Allure, the Bible, as we like to say around here. <laughs> Kelly, welcome to Los Angeles. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. It's very exciting. To echo Kirby, we're not trying to make you feel like ancient, but you obviously are like so iconic and someone that we look up to. And when we think of how we see our careers, you know, in the next 10 15 years, we're like, I want to be like Kelly when I grow up. Oh, thank you. I can't think of a better compliment than that. Thank you so much. That means a lot. Of course. Kelly is here because not only does she have amazing stories. One thing I love about Kelly is anytime we see her at an event, a breakfast, whatever, she always has an incredible story to share. And we want our listeners to hear about the glory days of working at a magazine because they were pretty fabulous and pretty insane. And she has stories for the books, but also she launched a new brand, Ryle, that plays into a topic that we've been talking a lot about on the podcast, which is teenage skincare obsessions. And this is a brand that is focused on teenagers and their needs specifically. It's not a brand that's made for a mature set that then the children become obsessed with. It truly is targeting the teenagers. So we're going to get into all of that. But Sarah, do you want to do the honors? Okay, Kelly, we've been dying to ask you, what is on your face? What are you obsessed with right now? Okay, so I have so many products here that you will have to like tell me to stop at some point. Never. Okay, so... I started with Lisa Eldridge's cleansing treatment because I met her earlier this week. I think you guys met her too. And this is really nice. I'm really enjoying it. So this is what I cleansed my face with. And I left it on for a few minutes, like she suggested. And lo and behold, my skin was super dewy and soft and supple afterwards, just the way I like it. And then I moved on to my Retrove conditioning tonic with chamomile, which is a favorite of mine. I have really sensitive skin. I 
sometimes blame myself and think that I created my own issues by trying everything under the sun. So now I've learned that I need to listen to my skin and I stayed away from a lot of actives for a long time. And now my skin's healthier. So I'm able to bring things back in that have some exfoliating properties to them and a little bit more active ingredients. So this is a great everyday tonic. I love this. It's so refreshing. I use it every single day. Then I used Lemuse Stem Cell EGF Serum. I don't know, it's some sort of sorcery there that really seems to heal my skin. My skin really responds well to it. Uh, so today I did a lot because I wanted to look good for you guys. So there's a lot of steps here. <laughs> a lot of times I will skip most of this and just do like one or two things because I am more mature. I like to feel like I have hydration on my skin. I am past the stage of wanting to feel like I have nothing on my face. So I'm a more is more girl now. I love Votary's Brightening Hyaluronic Acid Serum because it smells like orange blossom. I like hyaluronic acid as an ingredient, but I also never use it on its own. And this one is just so subtle. And then I seal it all in with the other later steps in my routine. And then I use the Retrove Nutrient Face Serum. This is just loaded with a whole bunch of incredible ingredients. And then I finished my Tatcha indigo cream, which I love. This is so thick and wonderful. I feel like I just put this like seal and moisture barrier on my skin. And I always do an oil of some sorts to end everything before I go to my sunscreen. So I use Retrovade came out with a new balancing face oil. This is, I'm still working through my sample that I have. And so I use that today. And then St. Jane's Luxury Skin Rituals Pore Smoothing Sunscreen. This I love. This is so nice. It really does like give you this really nice canvas for your skin, but it's an SPF 30 and it smells delicious. I'm a fragrance person. I love scent in my product, like not all of my products. And I certainly don't like that sort of grandma scent kind of products. <laughs> I like them to smell light and clean. So anyway, I love being enveloped in fragrance in most of what I do. So, but not too heavy with my creams and lotions and potions. Oh, and I scrub my lips with Sarah Hap's lavender chamomile scrub. I love that one. And I've been using her scrub forever and ever. So that's a great way to get my lips prepped. You know, and I do all this really fast. This is not like a long routine. I sort of whiz through it all. I love this new Joe Baker triple threat eye primer. This is... I don't really ever want to live without this. So that I use pre everything. Sometimes I just use this and don't even put makeup on. Wow. I'm a night owl. I don't get enough sleep. So this sort of helps mask all of that. And I use it under my eyes. You can use it on your eyelid. Sometimes I'll use it even around my nose and mouth. I use the Herborium CC cream. I think I use it in golden. Yeah. And this one's almost done. So that's a bummer. I have to break open a new one. I love it because it doesn't look like foundation at all. And you know, I learned from Pat McGrath, like I use brushes to put on my products and then I always warm them with my hands. She's a big, like put your foundation on with your hands person. And I really think that that makes it look more natural. So I have that weird step after putting on any sort of foundation or concealer that I always press it in with my bare hands and let it sort of warm and sink in. And it looks really natural. I don't think anybody ever says to me, I look like I have makeup on. And I'm always surprised by that because I love makeup and I like to play with it. And I like to have a lot of steps. And I put on multiple blushes and eye products. And like, it's a lot that I play with, but I think it is that sort of warming phase of like pressing product into your face that can make it look much more natural. And then I'm really obsessed with Make Beauty's Blush in Heat Stroke. And this I feel is a perfect sunburn 
natural color. This I use almost every day, probably twice a day. Kelly, it's like a red. It's not like a pink or like an orange. It's more of like a true red almost for your cheeks. Yeah. And it really looks like you've been running or you've been out in the sun. And this I apply with a brush. I never, ever put it straight on my face because that would be just too much pigment. And then I use a pink. I use Violette FR Inez, the Bizu Blush and Inez. And I always add a little pink to the apples of my cheek. And I also, you know what else I use on my face a lot? This is Maya's Diamond Lip Glow. And I love it in Outlaw. This color is a perfect tan color. So it gives you that I've been out in the sun look without looking too bronzy. So I use this, I use this probably every day too. And I use it on my eyes, I use it on my cheek and I use it on my lips. Oh, wow, I love that. Yeah, I love this. I had to take that horse off though. I couldn't- The horse medallion that sits on it, yeah. Yeah, I didn't carry it around with me for so long because I didn't know you could take it off. Oh, smart. Yeah, I figured it out and you can like pop it off. So that's a favorite. This one I highly recommend to everybody. It just gives that golden color that is, I don't know, the right mix of like brown and rust and it has a little bit of like a golden fleck to it. And then I love Christy Stryker's brow products. So I use her brow gel and the brow pencil, the micro tip pencil, or like, it's like a, more like a marker. I love it. I think it fills it in really naturally. I also, for the lips, so I do multiple steps on my lips too, because I I saw on TikTok sunburn lips by somebody and I really like that idea. I think like a sunburn lip, it sounds good. It looks juicy. I mean, all those names are great. Like what was there? It was like sun-dried tomato too. There was another look like that. <laughs> but I find I get a really good look using Monica Blender's Hotline Lip Liner in Kelly, which is not named after me, but I love that it has my name on it. And I sent Monica this TikTok a while ago saying, isn't this a perfect, you know, we both agreed that this was a perfect sunburn lip. And I use that. I line my lips with it. I sort of, we used to call it porno lips when you filled in your lips with a lip liner. I don't think anyone calls it that anymore, but um, where you use that almost as a stain and it would really last a long time. And then I use the Joe Baker, uh, one of her little brushes to sort of fuzz all the ends, you know, the edges so that they're just snogged lips, all these like names throughout the years. I think Kately used to talk about that. And then I use the Bizu. I love all these Bizu products from Violette. I think that they're from Violette FR. The Bizu Balm, I love this. I think the texture on this is amazing. There's a couple of colors, but uh, my French is terrible. I think this one is called Batiste, and I'm sure I pronounced that wrong. Don't worry. We're, we're no strangers. Well, I am no stranger to pronouncing French words incorrectly on accident. Yeah, I can't get those right. Those are also my favorite, the Bisu Bombs. They're so good. I have to try Violette. I have to try it. I haven't tried the brand yet, which is so crazy. Oh, no, I love it. I love it. And then I haven't put this on yet, but I intended to, and then I just forgot. So I love Polite Society's this lip plumper. Oh, my God. This is so great. I love this thing. So spicy. Is it more intense than Too Faced? No, it's not more intense than Too Faced, which is why I like it, but it's definitely still spicy. It's intense. It's spicy. You can kiss your children? No, you still can't. When I featured it on the news last week, I was like, this is not for your tweens. Do not give this to your teenagers. Like, this is for adult use only. But it really works. It's just, it's not as intense as the lip injection, but obviously it's like in the same family because of Jared Blandino but it works. Yeah, I love it. I think it really works. It makes me feel like I've been to the doctor and got a few injections for a while. (laughs) (laughs) 
Kelly, that was an excellent what's on your face. Excellent. Oh, thank you. Such a beauty girl's what's on your face. I enjoyed every second. You can tell she's been an editorial because <laughs> the way she describes things, exactly. she's using her words. We absolutely love that. I forgot, you guys. I forgot a big one. I forgot I, I like to use Kosas Glow IV as my like sort of base. This I put on a lot. And I think it really gives it like a, an internal glow to the whole process. So I forgot that. That's one that I'm really loving. And I wasn't sure about it at the beginning. I actually tried it on my hand and thought it felt a little bit dry. And then I don't know, I got used to the texture and the color was good. And I started getting compliments and I thought, okay, th that's in my, that's in my rotation now. You do have a beautiful glow to your skin. So oh, thank you. Can I ask too, Kelly, like, do you have a regimen of treatments that you like to do like facials or anything else? I wish I could say that I'm really consistent and that I go to the same people and I really know that this works for me and that works for me. But the truth is, because of what we all do, I tend to go and experiment with things more than do things regularly. Although I found that the treatment that works really well for me is microneedling, which I'm surprised because the very first time I had it done was I went to a facial. Do you guys know Dale, the goddess of skin? No. Okay. Dale, Dale is a facialist. I don't know if she's still working in LA, but she is this facialist that we used to cover when I was at Allure. And she really took great pride in bringing treatments to the US that like weren't being used anywhere else. And she did microneedling on me early on and I had a bad reaction. And I don't know why the treatment is different now because this was maybe 15 years. It was a long time ago. And she was the only one doing it. She was lovely afterwards. I had sort of an allergic reaction. And so I, the idea of doing it again, I shied away from it for a long, long time because of that reaction. And then now the machines are so much more advanced. And if I get invited in to do a microneedling, I'm all over it because my skin seems to really like it and responds well. I don't have any downtime. I don't even really bleed that much, which is really unusual for me because I think of myself as having very sensitive skin. So yeah, to answer your question, I don't do anything that regularly, but there isn't like a facial massage that I don't love. And I am shy. I shy away from very intensive treatments because I'm worried that it will trigger my rosacea. And then if I get flared, I stayed in this like flared state for a long time. And I've learned my lesson over the years from trying very intense things that I've had some bad experiences. Let me put it that way. So, so, you know, I go in and I try things as they come up and I'm discerning with what it is. If it's too intense, I, I probably will shy away from it. I love that you have rosacea, but you still have like a very expanded skincare routine. I'm sure that was a lot of trial and error. Yes, yes. So I think I'm in a healthy skin period of time right now, but it took me a long time to get there. And it took me a long time to really learn my lesson that not every product is for me. As much as I literally want to try everything, I haven't really sat in a in a death side where I haven't been like lured into like wanting to give it a go, but I've had to really resist that. It took me a long time to get diagnosed, by the way. It wasn't flared up in a traditional way when it first started. And so it took many years for me to finally get a proper diagnosis. And when my first like instance of seeing a bad reaction to trying products or a treatment, I looked like I had kind of bumps that were acne-like, but not really 
full acne. And I was just like, what is going on here? And instead of saying my skin looks really angry and I should maybe calm things down, I just sort of ignored it and pushed through, which wasn't very smart. So, you know, my education as an editor has informed my education as a human being and how to treat my own skin. And now I know that if my skin is red and inflamed, that there is no point and no reason for me to try to push through that because my skin is telling me it's upset and I should listen and I should just dial everything backwards. And because I've taken a long time to like be gentle with my skin. I've been able to reintroduce things that are a little bit more active and know that if I have a reaction one day, it means go back to super gentle cleanser, a super gentle moisturizer and like take it easy and not at all like guess anymore. Like really the minute it looks bad, I just like go back to basics. So, and I think that's worked. And now I feel happy that I can I can work with things that I can slough off dead skin more effectively. I mean, the amount of times I went to a facialist and they said, oh, you have buildup and you need to exfoliate more often. I'm like, I'm afraid. <laughs> right, right. Are there any particular products or ingredients that you know just are not going to work for your skin or does it really depend on the formulation? I know for me that Lactic acid is my friend and a lot of AHAs and BHAs are not, especially when people are like, oh, it's the most active product. I'm like, no, thank you. I'm good to stay away from it. I also, you know, because my skin was so sensitive for so long, I really shied away from retinols. And I had used at one point a prescription retinol. My skin hated it. It was a disaster for me. And now give anything time, people come out with better formulations. So there are formulations that I can use where the retinol is time released, where it's a gentler formulation. It's meant specifically for sensitive skin. And I've been able to reintroduce it, although I don't ever use it like multiple nights in a row. The most I'll do is a couple nights a week. And I'm also very much of the mindset that I don't look to my skincare or my beauty products at all as like life changers. I look at them as fun, enhancement, feel good. And it's kept my sanity throughout my career really is that, you know, you guys know people come up to us and say, how can I look 10 years younger? And I'm like, surgery. <laughs> Facelift. Yep. Otherwise, if you like beauty, then be honest with yourself and that you like it, you know, and that it's fun for you and that it's something that gives you joy in life, not something that is another source of like pain or discomfort or insecurity. And so I think that that's how I've been able to live in this space for so many decades now and enjoy it still. I mean, I still love every minute of it, but I'm not looking for life answers in it. Sage advice from Kelly Adderton, how to survive working in the beauty industry, <laughs> that mentality. Let me just tell you, I, I was like moderating a panel on aging gracefully and we, it was more of a conversation towards the end and it was a really fun chat. And I never told anybody this publicly, but part of our job also is going into doctor's offices and plastic surgeons and estheticians. And you're, you're sort of in their chair and you're, you're open to all the stuff they want to say to you about your skin. And some of it is really insulting and some of it is really horrifying. And you have to develop a thick skin to be able to hear it and walk away and kind of laugh it off. But there was this one 
appointment that I went to that was a favor to the publicist. And she said, please go into this office. They just opened this great space. She's an incredible doctor. I think she even said, oh, she'll do a treatment on you or something. But what she wanted to do and what she ended up doing was a consultation. And I left with this sheet that had a hundred markings on it. And it basically told me that my face was completely lopsided, that I needed something like $30,000 worth of injections to like balance me out. She said, this is just light touches, you know, this or that. I saved that paper because especially during COVID when I was doing like cocktail Zooms with my friends and we'd get a little tipsy. I'm like, let me pull out something and read it to you. And I would just like cry laughing, reading all the things that this doctor wanted me to do to my face. And it was a long list, like crazy long. And it's just, they were like, how do you live through that? And I said, cause we have to laugh about it because I'm never going to sit and spend $30,000 on injections. I mean, I, don't, I have no problem with anybody doing anything to their face, but this particular was so excessive. And I've had people say things like that to me throughout the years. And you just have to laugh it off if you want to like live and be sane. 100%. That is such a good perspective to have. When you said like, I cried laughing, I'm like, I would be like crying. Like, even though I do take everything with a grain of salt, these people are conditioned to pinpoint everything that's wrong and how you can fix it, right? So I do keep that in perspective, but I'm writing a story where I had to visit several plastic surgeons offices and they had to treat me like I was a patient coming in for a consultation. Kirby texted me and was like, oh my God. When you get some distance, you can laugh at it. It's when it happened, I left there mad. I was not happy. I left there really annoyed and I'm like, what? And I sat in my car and reread it and thought, really? I, I mean okay, I I knew I wasn't perfect, but this, you know, and then you get some distance and you look back and you're like, oh my God, come on. The way she wrote about me, it was like I was a monster. Right. Like Frankenstein that needs to be like put back together. Yeah. But then you think about it. This is the industry we're in. This is the job that we're doing. And these people are trained to do this like eight times a day for people. You know what I mean? They're not looking at you as people. They just are looking at your face and that's it. Totally. And this is their job. Yeah. I always say to people, have you ever been to a new hairstylist who didn't say to you, oh my God, who have you been going to? Yeah. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Right. Every time you're like, I didn't think it was that bad. Like I actually liked the way my hair was. Exactly. Wait, what? I have a shelf in the back. I always hear that. <laughs> you have a shelf right in the back. I'm like, oh, I thought it was all blended nicely. They're like, no, it's yeah. terrible. Oh my God, I'll fix this girl. I'll fix it. And you're like, okay. Totally, yeah. <laughs> totally. We all have this universal experience of going to a new hairstylist. Yeah, I think every everyone, a colorist too. They all do the same thing. Okay, not to say that you guys should be buying our merch, which you definitely should. But if you have bought our merch, you probably know it's pretty easy. Couldn't be easier. Truly. And that is because we use Shopify and we love Shopify because it makes it easy to purchase products, not just sell them, but as somebody who often buys things online, I love that when I log on somewhere, maybe skims or something, you (laughs) go to check out and it's like, boop, all my stuff's in there. No need to pull out my credit card or my wallet. Just fill out the little code that comes to you and then you're on your way. And for entrepreneurs out there, Shopify couldn't make it easier for you to sell your stuff. 
It makes it easy to accept payments, you manage your orders, you're building the relationships with your customers. It literally has everything you need to sell in person, but also everything you need to sell online. If you're ever wondering ease of use, like why it's so easy for you to check out certain places, it's likely because it is a Shopify website and it helps you to drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns. We probably could do a little bit more of that to be honest. So uh, here's your PSA to go buy some Los Angeles merch. There's literally Shopify built in plugins for Instagram. Wow. Did you know that? That's amazing. We're not doing enough. We're living in the future. We, we're, we have all of this at our service and we are not utilizing it. So sorry, Shopify. But now that they are proud sponsors of Los Angeles, we will be integrating that into our merch situation. Yes, we will. If you are interested in checking out Shopify, we've got a little deal for you. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Los Angeles. That's all lowercase. So just go to shopify.com slash Los Angeles to take your retail business to the next level today. That is shopify.com slash Los Angeles. So Kelly, you started your career, obviously in editorial at Vanity Fair. Can you walk people through that time? Like when were you at Vanity Fair? And like, how did you even end up there? Was that what you wanted to do initially, like be in, in beauty? Or were you focusing more on fashion? Okay, so I grew up in LA and I started my love affair with magazines when I was 13. I was in a shop class and it was junior high. They didn't even call it middle school then. I was in junior high and I was in a shop class. I think it was like, I don't know, we're making something. And I wasn't into what we were doing. And I saw a magazine sitting there. It was a bizarre magazine from like 1983. And I looked through it and I was like, what? is this? My mom wasn't into makeup or fashion or anything. I mean, she didn't really talk about any of that around the house and she never had magazines. And I looked at it and nearly died. I thought, what is this life? What are these stories? I was a, an obsessive reader anyway. I read books all the time, but I just didn't know about the magazine world. And that led, led me down the road of like collecting magazines, obsessively documenting what was in magazines. I mean, I was that geek. I had like a journal that I tracked models and how many covers they were getting and who was shooting what and who was the editor in chief. And, and it was just like my secret little passion. None of my friends shared the passion. None of my friends cared about it. And I had these bookcases in my bedroom that were just filled with magazines. And I didn't like anyone to look at them. I didn't want the pages to be bent. I didn't want I really didn't want fingerprints on them. I was a big magazine nerd. And if my parents went on vacation, I, I just wanted them to bring back like magazines from other countries. And those were my really special ones that I didn't even keep out in public. I didn't want anyone to even like seriously accidentally touch them. I had a Paulina Poritzkova French Vogue from the 80s that I thought was like, it might as well have been like an Oscar. I loved it. It was just so precious to me. So yeah, I love magazines. Nobody in my life loved them. I didn't really talk to my friends about it. They'd see it if they came over and be like, what is that? I'm like, oh, they're my magazines. You won't, you won't like them. Like, don't touch them. <laughs> but nobody in my life, not one person said to me, maybe that could be a career for you. And so I never considered it. I'd never been to New York. It seemed like another country to me. It didn't seem like a possibility. No one said to me, maybe study journalism in school. It was a very different world. 
you know, like I said, there wasn't anyone to bounce that idea off of. So I went to college. I thought I was going to be a lawyer. I worked for the Department of Children's Services. I, you know, thought I was going to be a child advocate. And then at some point in time, I did a special program down at a criminal courts building and it helped place kids that were taken from their homes and uh, for about a year and a half. And all my friends hated hearing about it. And I just realized that this wasn't really the life. That, and at the same time, I was working in stores. I always had a, I had a job since I was 13. So I, I worked in a lot of retail stores. I was also that nerd who like lied about her age to get a job. So I worked <laughs> at the store in Westwood, which was the precursor to Guess. It was called MGA. It was the brothers owned the store and they carried Guess jeans there. And it was like, Westwood was very happening then. And so I lied. I was 14 years old and got a job there so I could get the discount to buy all the clothes. And like, I lived in this sort of fantasy world of like trying to look like the people in magazines and and I played with makeup. I did all the things, but like just didn't have this idea that it could be a career. So anyway, I was in college. I worked in the Department of Children's Services. I realized that wasn't my my route. Beauty wasn't so much a conversation back then because beauty was really like going to a department store or a drug store and going to beauty counters. There really wasn't indie beauty yet, which was where it got exciting for people. And I remember really clearly the first inclination about that indie beauty might be a thing. And I was working at Ron Herman in Brentwood and someone came in and they had this sky blue, powdery blue nail polish on. And I was like, what is that? What do you have on your nails? And she said, I just got it at the, this, it was a little beauty kind of space. It wasn't, we never went in there. That's how unappealing it was, but it was hard candy. It was um, the first hard candy and they were making it like in their bathroom or something. And you could never get it because it went viral of the day. Like someone like myself would see it, go buy all of them for their friends and give them to everyone. And so that was the first time I realized that like the idea of this sort of like, beauty discovery moment really struck hard for me. And I just, my eyes lit up, but it was many years before beauty for me became a thing as like a possibility in my career. So cut to me graduating college. I was working at a store right after I graduated, I was working at Ralph Lauren in Beverly Hills in the store. And there you had your customer book and you like everyone sort of guarded their customers because you were on commission. And one of the girls who had a really big customer base, I talked to her a lot about magazines. She liked talking about it. And one day she said to me, there was this really glamorous girl who came in. She looked like a young girl, but she was like 25. And she had a big like cape on and like threw it around her neck and everything. And after she left, um, Vanessa came up to me and said, hey, I know you love magazines. She's an editor at Vogue. And I was like, Ooh, whoa, I was sort of obsessed with who's this person. And she told me her name and I was just like, you know, God, that's amazing. Tell me all about her. What does she do or whatever? And she was in from New York and she was just so glamorous. She like commanded the room in there. And then a friend of mine moved to New York at the same time. And I would go back and forth and visit her and had a really fun time every time. And like, finally there was one trip where I'm like, if I have a great time, I'm going to just move there. And at this point I knew magazines, you know, could I follow the dream and try? It sort of became in my time working at Ralph Lauren, talking about it, that there were real humans that worked at these magazines I hadn't really thought about. I had this trip, visited my friend, had a great time, said, I'm going to move there. And in that time, Vanessa said to me, well, you know what? One of my other customers is the West Coast editor at 
she works for the West Coast editor at Vogue. I'll connect you with her. And so when I moved to New York, she connected me with her on the phone. I didn't meet her in LA. And she was so nice to me. Her name is Crystal Lord. And she said, hey, uh, you know, let me help you get a job there. And I was like, great, cool. And she connected me with Elizabeth, who happened to be the person who came into Polo that day. And that was Elizabeth Salzman. And she said, I'll connect you with my friend Elizabeth. She works at Vanity Fair. She had left Vogue in that time and became the fashion director at Vanity Fair. She said, let me connect you with her and hopefully it'll work out. And I talked to Elizabeth. She was really lovely. She said, I just hired an assistant. I'm so sorry, but why don't I set you up with a informational interview at Condé Nast? And I thought, great, I'll, you know, go in and meet them and they'll love me and they'll hire me. And I went in and I met them and they kind of strung me along for a bit. But at the end of the day, their final word to me was, you didn't intern here in in high school, so we don't really have an editorial position for you. And I got kind of mad at that. I'm like, wait a second, you mean to tell me every single editor interned here in high school, they all live in New York, like every single person you work with. And she's like, yep, pretty much. And I thought, this is unreal. There's no way that this is true. And so I spent the rest like six months before I got the job, but I spent that six months doing a million different other jobs. And I just thought my mom came to visit me once and said, you gave up your great life in LA and you have nothing here in New York and just come back and work at Polo again. And I thought I am not going back to LA with my tail between my legs after telling everyone I'm moving to New York and working in a magazine. And then out of the blue, Crystal calls me again and says, Hey, I don't know if what you're doing, you're loving, but Elizabeth's assistant didn't work out. Do you want to connect with her again? And I said, yeah, you know, of course. And I'm like, I could give up my four random jobs and get my dream job. Anyway, I talked to Elizabeth and this time it worked out. So she interviewed me. It turns out at Condé Nast, like going through HR is not the way to go. And that my HR interview was after Elizabeth already told me she was hiring me and I had to go back into HR and basically just sit there and they're, they're like, well, Elizabeth wants to hire you. So, so yeah, so I ended up working in Elizabeth Saltzman was a fashion director and that was my initial entry into the magazine world. I don't know if you know much about Elizabeth, but she's now a huge stylist. So she works with like Gwyneth Paltrow and she was working with Phoebe Waller-Bridge for a long time. She works with uh, Julia Garner, but she was a bit of like a, an icon in New York. So working for her, I learned a lot. She was a fashion director and there was no beauty department there. There was no beauty editor. And when she saw how I used to react when things would come in the office that were beauty related, finally, one day she said to me in front of the whole team, like, you're not a fashion person, you're a beauty person. And I remember that landing that felt like a knife in the gut because beauty was the stepchild to fashion then. And I think I had to fight back tears, but she was right. She was right. And I remember that moment so much because my face burned and I just thought, oh, she just like, that was such a low blow in front of all the fashion people. But she was, she was right. I remember the first day a big beauty mailer came in and it was from Stila. It was a steel suitcase with every single thing in the line. And I lost my shit. I mean, I just couldn't believe. I called my friends like, because even for us, just buying one thing from Stila was a big deal. 
I, I didn't know that editors got things. So when she started getting deliveries, I was like, what, what, they just sent that to you? What are you talking about? Like, wait, we can keep that? We don't have to send it back. It's not just to like, look at it. So yeah, I, I did freak out on all the beauty stuff. And she, as a, um, I want to say in my second year there, she said, I'm going to let you just cover all the beauty, like inbounds. Like you can go to any of the beauty invitations. You can call in any products you want, whatever you want, just so that we're sort of in touch and keep our relationships with beauty brands really warm. And um, she gave me that opportunity, which was great. Sarah, did you know that editors got sent product? before you got started? No, that was not a thing that I knew. Like people think that that's why we got into this for the free stuff, but I had no idea that that was even a perk. It's so different now because now people know that you get sent, whether you're an editor or an influencer. So many people get started because they want to request free things to sample. Like I'm in this giant publicist group on Facebook and they're constantly complaining about, quote unquote, like influencers or quote unquote, like editors calling in product and then like never hearing from them again, just like completely being ghosted because they want free stuff. Like I loved magazines, very like same to Sarah. Yeah, we loved magazines and we loved this idea of being able to see our name in print and writing about these people and like talking about these products. And, and it never occurred to me that like they're not like going out and like buying those products. They're obviously being sent things because the brands want to be featured in their publication. So it's such a different world now. It really is. I was so green. I was so naive. I mean, my first week with Elizabeth, this is so embarrassing, but my first week, Anna Winter called and I left her on hold. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And, and and Elizabeth came out and said, write this name down and write this name down. There were like three names and I had to put them up on my bulletin board right in front of my face to know that they are never left on hold, that I need to find her and run around the hallway and get her. And I just, I didn't know there. I had to put Graydon's name up there, Anna's name up there and Steve Floria's name up there. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say Graydon was probably up there. You're literally living like Devil Wears Prada. Yes. Oh, God. You probably can't watch it because it's like PTSD. No, no, no. I love it. I love it, actually. <laughs> I love it. But it hit home because a lot of those, not necessarily the exact like scenes that played out, but that feeling of, I know that feeling. I, I had to do certain things like that. Like I had to call an airline once to say, hey, please don't take off. Like so-and-so is coming. And they're like, what? We're taking off, you know? And you'd have to make that call and be like, okay, I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. That was sort of my entry into like how fabulous it could be was like Devil Wars Prada. I remember How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days when she had like that little bag of samples that she brought over to her friend. It was like a bag of makeup samples. I was like, oh, that's fun. But like same, like I just had no idea. I just wanted to like storytell. Like I wanted to write. But Kelly, tell us more about how fabulous it was. So <laughs> tell us more about like how sampling worked back then. So you you went on, you worked for Vogue, you obviously worked for Allure, you went on trips, like no trips. No, 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 no trips. Oh my God, so strict. Yeah, okay, this is what I was curious about. Like, we're, like what was the trip ordeal? Because it's so different now. And then also you told me at a meeting at one point that Kiehl's was really responsible for like, product sends and like seeding of that nature. Can you kind of go into that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was this day when I was working at Vanity Fair and Elizabeth came in and she was at a lunch and she handed me a menu 
and it looked like a menu. And she said, hey, ask everybody on the floor what they want and then call back at this number and let them know or fax them the order. And I'm like, look at it. I'm like, oh, it's Kiehl's. What is she? Wait, what? I get to ask everybody on the floor what they want. And I mean, for me, Kiehl's was like the gold standard. I used their products when I could afford them. And they were amazing to me. And I I had to check with her. Wait, are you serious? I can just ask everybody on the floor what they want from Kiehl's, Kiehl's, and I can make a list and fax it over and they'll give it to everybody. And she said, yes, Jamie, my friend is very generous. And I thought, right, she said that I'm going to go around and do this right now. And I did what she said and I faxed it over. And like three hours later, it must have been a truck pulled up and just dollies of boxes of product. And I just sort of made everybody's orders and divvied them out to everyone. And yeah, that was my very first taste of what the power of seeding product to people and what it meant for a brand. And I mean, I talked to Elizabeth about it later. I'm like, why would she do this? And she said, well, when you want everybody at Vanity Fair talking about your product, and I'm like, oh, yeah. That's very smart. And Jamie Heidegger, she was called like the sampling queen or the queen of sampling because that's what she did in store heels. And it just translated into, well, if people are coming into my store and I'm making little samples for them, if I give it to everybody who works at Vanity Fair, they're all going to talk about my product. And there's my marketing at, you know, I don't advertise. This is my perfect advertisement for my brand. And that was the first taste that I had of anybody utilizing people as their, I mean, obviously word of mouth is what everybody always talks about, but utilizing specific people for getting the word out about a brand. It was so smart of Jamie and she's always lived by that. But that was my first taste as an, as someone working at a magazine to see that it was really powerful. And as far as like the early days, there weren't like big mailers like there are now. Once in a blue moon, you would get something. Once in a blue moon, a steal a suitcase would come in and I'd lose my mind. Then there might be a Chanel breakfast. I got to go in Elizabeth's place to one of these and you got like this backpack filled with everything from Chanel's new season. And I had to stop at a phone booth to call my mom and there was no cell phones then and call her and say, you cannot believe that this is my work day, how it started. I got to go to the Chanel lunch. I literally sat next to Ari Kopelman and I got a backpack filled with Chanel. She's like, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. You know, I mean, people couldn't believe that this was what went on. The beauty part of it wasn't huge. The fashion gifting for Elizabeth in particular was unbelievable. I mean, some of the stuff I saw coming to her office would blow your mind. And also she was so generous. I mean, she was so, so generous. And she offered me so many things that I could kick myself for turning down. So she did the shoot once with the Alphayettes in um, Paris and they, she shot them in front of their Vuitton collection of suitcases and duffel bags and all sorts of things. And it's like literally floor to ceiling. And when the picture came out, Vuitton sent over a Christmas tree. So it must've been around that time of year, literally a full-size Christmas tree with little packages wrapped from Vuitton with all different accessories attached to the tree. And she said to everyone in the office, she said, I'm going to share with everyone, take what you want. And I, I passed. <laughs> I didn't like it. I thought at the time, 
you were like Vuitton's not for me it wasn't it wasn't my it wasn't my thing I just was like no it's okay and I remember I'm still very close to the people I worked with there and I remember Tina who was one of our market editors she was like are you serious sure and she took like four and I'm Tina oh a hundred percent (laughs) No, she's smart. I think she even still has them. I was just with her a few weeks ago. I think she still has those things. I, uh, Elizabeth one day threw a Fendi bag on my desk and said, here, you can have it. And I said, oh, great. Thanks. And I thought, I looked at him. No, it's not for me. And I gave it. Do you guys know Sunhee Grinnell? Oh yeah. Sunhee, Sunhee. Yeah. She was a beauty director at Vanity Fair. I gave it to Sunhee. I'm like, do you want this Fendi bag? And she's like, yeah. You truly were a beauty girl, not a fashion girl. I was an idiot. I was a real (laughs) idiot. (laughs) I mean, she got these incredible designers would make her like special things because she grew up in New York. She grew up with a lot of these, these designers, like when they were young and saw them through lots of stages of their life. So she would just get incredible gifts, you know, like Tom Ford would make her a pair of boots or Marc Jacobs was a great friend of hers. I mean, she had incredible relationships with people. Kelly, we need to talk about, so you were not allowed to go on trips. I don't even remember any press trips being offered when I was at Vogue. When I was at Allure, they were starting towards the end of my time there, but Linda was so strict about this stuff, like insanely strict. There were no trips. You had to be careful about what you accepted for free. Of course, products, you know, that was important to be able to try things. You could never write about anything or suggest that anyone write about anything that they didn't try. But treatments was also one of those things that they were pretty strict about making sure you were, you had talked to uh, Linda or someone else at the magazine to make sure they knew you were going in. It just wasn't willy nilly. It was very, there was a feeling of not feeling beholden to anybody that was really important. It's a very different energy than what goes on now. There was the idea of respecting a difference between advertising and editorial. Those lines are much murkier now, but it was very strict. I never, you know, the worst days for me at Allure were when sometimes I go to these sort of convention type events and people would give you a sample of something to try. And I would always say, like, if you give this to me, there's no guarantee of coverage. I always want to make that really clear. But inevitably, somebody along the lines would not pay attention to that. And then they would call and say, I gave you the sample. And when are you going to write me up about this? And blah, blah, blah. Those were always my worst days because at Allure, it felt particularly insulting. And I would get nervous because I never, ever wanted Linda to think that I would take anything and promise coverage in return because there just was never that guarantee. It just was not our ethos there at all. So I was like the goody, goody rule follower. I really never wanted Linda to be disappointed in me. And she had very strict guidelines about all that stuff. But now, I mean, it's a different world too, because I think to have a very strict rule that magazine editors have to follow would be detrimental at some times to the publication, to the editors, because it may mean missing out on a lot of key information for writing about a new launch, you know the whole launch could be tied into this trip and experiencing and seeing the products in the environment that they're creating for them now, that just wasn't really a thing back then. And I think the idea that if you went on a press trip that you were guaranteeing that you were going to cover something, I mean, I go through that now too. I like to stay up front. If there is an expectation of coverage, let's talk about it now because I can't I can't promise it all the time. And if it's implied by me going, I would rather not go. 
Sarah and I run into this a lot where we're straight up that like we cannot guarantee anything unless it's beneficial, like especially for the podcast. It's like, oh, this actually would be a great episode. We are already planning on doing this. This hits an editorial tentpole. So it makes sense for us to go. And we're planning on doing a live recording there of some sort. But it is, I think, something that a lot of people don't realize about our job is like when we're going to these things, there's like also somewhat of an expectation from these brands, like hoping that we'll cover it. But then if you're not a seasoned pro, especially at like brand PR, they may be expecting like, okay, well, you came and you didn't do anything with this. Like, but that's like the risk of all of these events and all of these trips is like, there's no guaranteed coverage, especially when it comes from somebody that's writing like an editor, you know, it's, it's very different with influencers and content creators. You know, at Refinery, that is very much our editorial policy, too. Like, we absolutely cannot accept trips if there is any sort of expectation for for coverage. And I think, like, I'm hoping that that's still true for, like, a lot of publications, because, like, then what is the difference between, like, you know, advertising and editorial, like you said? But I do think it also is a reflection of publicists and people who have had experience working with true journalists and editorial versus influencers, because I think some more, like, junior green publicists treat us editors and journalists like influencers where it's like an exchange and we're like, no, actually, that's just not how it works. So Kelly, you spent a majority of your career at Allure, like what, 16 years? It was close to 17 years. Yeah. Amazing. And you got to work with the lovely Linda Wells, who we are massive fans of here. And we love what she's doing with Look over at Airmail. And I'm curious, you you have some incredible stories of working on sets. Mm -hmm. So whether it's Vogue or Vanity Fair or Allure, do you have one story that sticks out on your mind that you think is either iconic or hilarious or something that you're like, I cannot believe I was there to witness this? Okay, there's one story that I really want to share with you guys, because it's a story that I've told a lot, but never publicly, like never for a bigger audience than the audience right in front of me. And I tend to tell it at career days or with Ryle, I've had a bunch of opportunities to be in front of kids and tell them stories, especially young girls. And I think it's my best story, honestly, even though it's not super funny, but it's a great story. So I used to do Allure's Face. We had 10 to 12 of them a year. And that page was a portrait of an up-and-coming actress. And it was really popular, especially here in LA with casting directors, because it was who who they should be keeping an eye on. And we just had really good luck with finding great talent. Our celebrity wrangler editors, special projects editors was what they were called. We always had great people who had a great eye. And so this, this was a really popular page and I really enjoyed doing it. And we had some amazing people. Music people were always our most difficult. They always came with a different set of rules and um, expectations and managers and handlers and bigger teams. And I got a call one day from Maggie Buckley, who was our special projects editor at the time. And she said, hey, you're going to be doing a shoot with this young singer, Taylor Swift, for Laura's Face. I knew who she was. I had been, you know, we used to get the CDs in the mail, like all the promo CDs. And I had gotten her CD and I liked it. And she had all those curls that she was doing. So I knew who she was. I knew that her CD, her album had taken off. And anytime we shot somebody who was under 18, Linda and I always powwowed about it because Allure was very, we took underage people very seriously and never wanted to have an overly sexualized image of them. It needed to be age appropriate. Linda was always really strict about that. 
So we had our normal conversation. We didn't shoot that many young people, but we, you know, when it happened, we had these talks and I had already done my mood board, but I pulled my inspiration pictures, which for this shoot, it was Brooke Shields in her dorm in at Princeton. So really very vanilla. And then Maggie and I talked a lot and she's like warned me that the parents were the managers and, you know, be really leery of that. Like they can be difficult. And the day came around and parents were lovely, like could not be nicer, really enjoyed spending time with her mom and dad. And I had pulled like cut off denim shorts for the shoot and sweaters. I think we did one uh, shot with like a sort of hippie boho dress and we were shooting in Laurel Canyon at my friend Lena Wald's house, who's a jewelry designer. She had this cool modern kind of tree house with lots of windows and lots of natural light. And Taylor came into the room and she took one look at the, uh, she's very polite. She took one look at the rolling rack with the the cutoff jean shorts. And she's like, these are very risque. They're very short. I don't know. And I said, oh, you know, come on. They're a totally normal lane that you're going to be laying down on the bed. It's not too risque. And I want to just put some context here. She was like 17. And I think she was dating one of the Jonas brothers because she had on like, I think this sort of promise ring to not have sex. <laughs> Didn't they all? Wait, Kelly, what what year was this, Kelly? Do you know? This would have been in like September, October of 2008. Okay. And the day of our shoot, the night before had been, I don't know if it was the VH, the MTV Video Awards or Film Awards, but it had been an award show in LA. And Russell Brand was the host and she spent most of her time, she had been there and she spent most of her time in hair and makeup, like really not being happy about Russell Brand saying that he was just disrespectful to women. He was vulgar, blah, blah, blah. She of course was right. Look at all these years later. And I, at the time was like, oh God, she's, you know, a teenager. She's sort of prude and he's funny. And, you know, she showed me up on that one. She was totally right. There's one thing about Taylor Swift is it's always going to come back that she was right. Oh, 100%. 100%. She was very nice to talk to, but very teenager-like, like like totally age-appropriate. You know, I was just this like, you know, an editor of the shoot. I was not her friend. So we were not like buddy-buddy on it. She was very respectful. She said to me, I get it. We're not going to do my hair. She did tell me it's her signature look and that she would be going back to it. We had hair, makeup, and a manicurist there. And um, she came in with navy blue nails, which was really not our vibe at the magazine at the time. And I asked her, can we please change your nail color? She said, no, she put her foot down like a proper teenager would and drew the line there said, I'm not changing. She goes, I did my hair. I'm not going to do my nails again. Very politely. She was not bratty at all. I want to be really clear. She was not a brat. She was very respectful. We all sort of sat around listening to her talk and hair and makeup and, you know, talking about life and boys and this and that. She did talk about the ring a bit. And I think I remember saying to her, like, hey, you'll change your mind. You know, I don't know that you need to stick to that. And and here's something too. Ke- Kelly's always right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can promise you anybody would be right about that. But, you know, 17 year old knows everything. And anyway, the day was pretty uneventful. We did the pictures. She was, you know, I said to her, you're not going to change your toes. We're going to have to like 
you know, situate your feet, not to shoot your nail polish because we're going to have to retouch it out. You know, I was slightly annoyed about that because I said we would put it right back on. None of these things are that big of a deal. We did have a guitar in the room because we had this one other, I think it was a Stevie Nicks inspiration picture. And she had this dress on and she was playing the guitar a lot. And I remember thinking like, yeah, she's, this girl's talented. She's really talented. I wasn't that invested in the shoot. It was early in her career. She did explain that this album was more crossover from country. Maggie, who is our celebrity uh, booker, had said to me, it's kind of great that we have her because the album's doing really well. The shoot ends. I'm doing my credits at the end. You know, I have to get that ready so that everything gets sent in. This is where it gets good. She comes up to me and she says, Kelly. And I said, yeah. She goes, can I have a word? And I'm like, yeah, sure. She said, did you get everything you needed today? And I said, you know what? I did. I said, I I did. I said, I think, you know, I would have loved for you to change the nail color, but we got the hair and you were great. Yes. I think we got some really beautiful pictures. I think everyone's going to be happy. So thank you so much. And she goes, yep, no, I'm not done. She said, "Um, can I ask you a favor? And I said, yeah, ask me, go ahead. And she said, I want to cover. And I said, huh? Okay. I said, honestly, Taylor, in all my years that I've been here, no one has ever asked me for a cover. I said, I really like that you did that. I said, you know what? I am going to make a phone call and I'm going to get right back to you. And I went in the other room and I called Maggie and I said, Taylor just looked me straight in the eye and said, she wants a cover. And Taylor explained, she went further and she said, I think Allure is a perfect first adult cover for me. I want to make this happen. And so I explained that to Maggie and Maggie said, well, her numbers are so good that she should have this cover and let's make this happen. And she ran into Linda's office and the cover, I want to say she shot the cover something like within two weeks. And that cover was her first adult cover. It was shot by Michael Thompson. I was not at that. It ended up happening in New York. It was shot by Michael Thompson. Gucci Westman did the makeup. Serge Normand did the hair. Our amazing Paul Cavaco styled the shoot. And it was Taylor's first time wearing red lipstick. And it's all because of Kelly. Well, I mean, I played the teeniest, tiniest role of being a messenger for a, you know, for a message that, thank God, all the people at Allure really recognized that we were all aligned. It all worked out really well. But none of that would have happened if Taylor hadn't asked. And that's why I really like to tell this story at career days. And I like to tell it to young girls. I did this like sort of through Ryle. I did something recently with a, a bunch of young girls. And I always tell this story because I think women don't ask for what they want. And I think Taylor at 17 asked an editor, can I please have a cover? And she got her cover within two weeks. And it was early in her career. And I just think that it says so much about who she is now. It says so much about what young women should aspire to and that you should ask, like use your voice. I'm not always great at that, but I try to think about that moment because It was really impactful for me and also that it happened. Like she asked and there you go. She got that gorgeous cover. Do you guys remember that cover? Kelly? Yes. Also, (laughs) thank you for this gift of a story. When you went to see her, were you like emotional? You know, it's so funny. There's so much distance here now, but I do look at her and think about that all the time because I think she has earned everything she's gotten. Obviously, she is incredible. She's incredible. And as a young woman, she embodied determination and personal power. She owned it at a young age. And, you know, I've been on so many shoots where the actress or whoever it is that we're shooting 
sits there and does not advocate for themselves. They will text their publicist while they're sitting there for their publicist to say something or their manager to say something. And here I am with a 17-year-old with her mom in the room who she could have had her mom come up and ask me, but she knew instinctively if I ask myself, it's going to be more impactful and it's what I want. And I don't even know if she ran it by her mother. And harder to say no. Uh, harder to say no. I mean, I literally was like, wow, whoa. I mean, only one other person has ever asked anything that directly to me before. And she's really successful too. So, you know, that was Elizabeth Banks. She did it too. She didn't ask for a cover though. I met her at a party. She hadn't really, her career hadn't even really started. Her publicist told her that an editor from Allure was there. And she said, will you bring me over to her? And she came up to me at this party and said, hi, I hear you're with Allure magazine. I think you should cover me. And I was like, you're so pretty. Yeah. I said, you're bossy. <laughs> Why not? And we, yeah. Yeah. And we shot in Allure's face with her, I want to say within a month. Ask and you shall receive. That's, that is the, the message here. That was a fabulous story. I'm going to be telling that story to little Zoe. Be like, you got to ask for what you want. Yes. Sarah. So I put in the chat the Allure face that she did with her straight hair. You'll notice what's hilarious her nails hiding in every single pose. Yeah, everything. Look at the feet. Yes. Yeah. yes. <laughs> Incredible job. Incredible job. And then that photo shoot in 2009, it's so editorial. It is like unlike anybody had ever seen Taylor before. She's kind of giving Rocky Horror picture show in a way with some of these looks. No, it's incredible. You know, there's a really good, if you go onto Allure somewhere on the website, if you put it in, there's a whole like uh, documentation of that shoot and talking about the looks. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. And, um, but I love what they did is the opposite. They sort of took the hair that we didn't want and leaned into it and made it crazier. And I always love that. But the thing that always stood out to me was that red mouth. I mean, that mouth is iconic now, but that was the first time it was done. It looks like she's holding, it's like clearly a liquid lip in this photo of her applying the red, but we have no idea what it is. You know, somewhere there's a credit, <laughs> you know, somewhere there's somewhere there's a credit and the, you guys, you know what? I used to have every Allure issue, every Allure issue. And I trashed them. I copied like the things <gasps> that I wanted to. I know I had every single issue. Kelly. I know it's so sad. You should have given them to me, but we didn't know each other probably. So we didn't know each other then. No, it was when I was clearing out my office. I got rid of everything. I know. So sad. It's okay. You have the memories. You have the memories. I have the memories. Yeah. You should hear Linda and I, when we talk about these things, you know, Kirby, I'm a contributor there at Airmail Look, which is so fun to go back to having these kinds of conversations with Linda about every, you know, everything from the past and the things we're working on now. And so it's just, I feel like my old self when I get to talk like this with you guys or, you know, with anybody else in the business. So, so, so incredible. Okay. We need to talk about Ryle. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So you started this in 2020? So we launched it. We just launched in June. So 2023. Okay. 2023. But I mean, the idea when I first started a long time coming. I think it's because we've had the products and like have been like we got sampled the products to try before the launch. So it feels longer. Yes. OK. And Kelly has been talking about it for so long. And like who better than Kelly to start a brand for teens? Because you are a mother of three, which also like 
I, that's like a whole nother conversation of how you were able to have such a full career and like also raising three children is incredible. But okay, so you, I feel like are launching at the perfect time because teens are just obsessed with skincare now more than ever before. We talk all the time about how much they're using Drunk Elephant and Glow Recipe. But what was your intention when you started Ryle? What's white space were you trying to fill? So the original white space and my conversation has probably shifted a little bit because of like social media. But when I first started talking about it, my third child, my 15 year old had just been born and it was my best friend's kids were 10, 11, 12 in that age range. And she kept asking me with each one of her kids, what should I get them? And I never had a great answer for something that was a great gentle basic that sat between baby and acne that would be good for everyday use. There was a big jump and a baby had exploded. There were lots of options there. And acne was always a big thriving category. But that idea of gentle basics that were appealing to a tween or a teen, that just didn't exist. So you had you had to go from cute baby stuff to like a Cetaphil, nothing wrong with Cetaphil, but the kind of branding of like a drugstore brand and then acne products. And I thought, you know, I knew enough about skincare to know that I overtreated my skin and that acne brands were actively marketing to really young kids in the same way they did when I was younger to still, you know, do these same problematic practices of like astringent all over your face because you have one pimple or buff puffs. You guys ever use buff puffs? Yes. Yeah. Buff puffs were like, I mean, you just like basically slough off all your skin, cause all these micro tears and, and then wonder why your skin isn't looking good or use these very harsh, uh, abrasive scrubs like apricot facial scrubs. And, you know, all those sort of things were not really good for kids' skin when really they just need to get into good habits, wash their face every day, put on a light moisturizer, you know, keep their pH in balance, don't strip your skin, all these sort of basic ideas. But there was nothing that I saw that would be appealing enough to make them want to do it regularly. So if it's something that looks like a market brand or a drugstore brand or a health food store brand, all those things were going to sort of sit on the counter. They're not going to be excited about doing it or feel ownership or feel this sort of independence that that's what I think kids gravitate towards. And it's why they are so into skincare. It's their first sort of taste of like um, self-care ownership and independence, like exerting some power over their own life. So that was the original thought. It had to do a lot with acne brands, a lot with this, like a genuine white space. But now as time has gone on, you know, what we can also address as an issue is that they're being targeted, you know, inadvertently a lot of the times by influencers and brands who maybe the packaging is super appealing to the kids. So it looks like a kid's brand to them. But meanwhile, it's really been formulated for adults. It has actives in it. Or if it's an influencer that they really like and they want to emulate, the influencer is being paid by brands to talk about certain products, but they're not taking into consideration who their audience is. And they're not explicitly saying to them, hey, I know most of my demographic is 13, although I'm 25 
And you guys should maybe be not looking at the product that I'm paid to promote and maybe looking at something that's more age appropriate. They're never going to have a nuanced conversation on social like that. It's not, doesn't behoove the brand that's hired them. It doesn't behoove them to address the reality that their demographic might be a different demo than they like to think that they're appealing to. So there's a lot of things that come into play there. So yeah, the white space really was sitting in between this baby and acne. That was the original one. And now the conversation includes, um, you know, being something that's a great appealing baseline basic for kids that they can start with and feel their parents can feel good about them using it and they can feel cool using it versus, you know, like I'm just going to ignore my mom because it's another thing she wants me to do. So it's really the idea that they may want to actually ask to have it and ask to have something that's their own versus being having it forced on them. Okay. So I think that's like a really good spot to live in, especially right now. We are seeing more of these brands pop up. And while it might be like, oh, there's like competition out there. I think having competition is good because it means that that's becoming a trend. And that's something that more people will kind of be looking for in general as ter- in terms of a consumer. So can you walk us through what you offer at Ryle and where we can find it? Yeah. So Ryle, we are sold direct to consumer. We are also at Formula Fig, which is really exciting for us. We're also at a couple of other retailers, like small beauty boutiques across the country. We have a a couple of different tween stores that carry us. And we're at, oh, we launched at the Big Feelings pop-up in New York. We're there. We're one of like four brands there. So that's really exciting. That's the Alice and Olivia teen line called Big Feelings. And it's this really cute townhouse on the Upper East Side. So that's really exciting that we're there. And just to say one thing about a bunch of other brands launching at the same time, it is great. I'm so excited about that. I had, you know, I didn't come to market exactly at the time that I thought I should or that I wanted to. I COVID presented some some issues there. But you know what? Having other brands in the space means that there is a marketplace and that you know, big box retailers eventually are going to have to make space for um, this category. So yeah, it's really good. Everybody gets lifted up by having more on offer. So I am really happy. The timing sort of was serendipitous in a lot of ways, even though frustrating at times to get there. So we have five products. They are our Crackle Cleanser, which everything is gentle. Our formulations are not overly complicated. They're all meant to be hydrating, very gentle. Like, you know, just really leave your skin feeling soft, doing the job where the cleanser gets it clean. Um, It's going to be hydrating. I I can't stress enough that like squeaky clean is not something that should be talked about in skincare regimens that you do not ever want to feel like that because that means you have just stripped away so much that you're going to be in a state of imbalance. And then you're going to have this bad cycle of overproducing sebum to make up for it. So our crackle cleanser is just very hydrating and soothing. We have aloe vera in it, white water, lily flower extract, which is very moisturizing. We've got hyaluronic acid and red algae extract in that one. And it's just a very light gel to foam uh, cleanser. Our next one is our Feed It Hydrator, which has been really popular. It's a gel-based moisturizer that is so, we like to say it's so light you forget it's on, but in a good way. And boys especially are very appreciative of this because they're a harder demographic to appeal to and they don't want to feel like they've done anything. And so it really just balances the skin, sinks right in and is very 
hydrating. It has green tea extract in it, vitamin C, vitamin E, hyaluronic acid. Then we have, we did make a fragrance. So we have a custom fragrance. It smells like the hills of California. It's really fresh and clean. It's really meant to appeal to everybody. And thankfully, everybody loves it, which has been great. So much so that we made a little fragrance thing for your car and air freshener. And so that fragrance is in our deodorant, which is, which our deodorant is called the pits and it's a charcoal deodorant. It's got this like light gray color to it. It has, um, aloe vera and tapioca starch and activated charcoal powder. Again, not the most complicated formulation, but the scent is really lovely and it helps. It doesn't help prevent sweating, but it helps keep you drier than you would if you wore nothing and you smell delicious. And then our most sort of unique product is our no shower shower foam. And that is a foaming micellar water that you can use from head to toe. This is great. I use this all the time. It really can get you through the day without having to shower. And that includes working out in the morning. So I'll work out if I know I have to like do work stuff after that. I'll just go in the bathroom. I'll apply it head to toe and give it a few minutes to dry down. And then later you're like, I don't know, it feels so clean that you don't even, you're like, did I shower? I have no idea. So that during the summer was a huge hit, especially at the beach. Oh my God, it really works. Like, you know, if you're in the ocean and you have that salty film on you, you can use it. But even after, if you want to use the showers at the beach, you know, our water's so hard and it leaves you feeling dry and tight. This is a great little next step to use after it. You can use it to take your makeup off. There's a lot of different ways to use it. So five products, super easy peasy. We're never going to be a brand that has 9,000 SKUs. I don't want to make life complicated. And I think of it as baseline basics. You know, the the holy trinity of skincare is cleanse, uh, hydrate, and protect. So eventually we'll have a sunscreen. And then I think as far as like expanding the skincare line, I think we'll have pimple patches and then we'll move on to another category because I want to keep it simple. I'm not in it to overwhelm anybody. So I feel like my uh, nephews could, my teenage nephews are really going to be able to use this no shower, shower face and body foam because you're, I'm going to get you some for them. Your, is it your sister's kids? My sister's kids. Yeah. She will want to keep it in the car. These are the kind of things like everybody keeps them in all these kids to keep them in their gym bags. So they keep them in the car. Yeah. It saves like after you pick up a bunch of kids from like oh, a sports from activity. Gross. Yeah. It's going to save the scent in the car for sure. It cleans everybody off. It gets like hot in the car when you pick up all these kids after sports. This is incredible. Congrats. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Kelly, thank you so much. You're the best. Thank you for coming on. This was so fun. Thank you, guys. I'm so flattered and really just so I'm so happy to get to talk to you guys. You know, I always love to sit and like chat your ears off at, at events. So thank you for having me here to do it. I always feel so lucky when we are seated next to each other at an event. Thank you. Nice saying. I feel the exact same. Where where can we shop for Ryle? So our website is probably the easiest. And like I said, we're in a handful. We're in a growing list of stores. So Ryle.co, C-O. All right, that's it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We will be back on Tuesday with the week's most buzzy beauty news. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify so you don't miss any breaking beauty news or product reviews. And if you want to support us, be sure to follow us at Gloss Angeles Pod on all platforms and join our Facebook group. Plus, find every product we recommend on our website, glossangelespod.com, as well as links to the stories and news we report each week. 
You can follow us, your hosts. I'm Sarah Tan, that's S-A-R-A-T-A-N, on all social platforms. And I'm Kirby Johnson, K-I-R-B-I-E, on all social platforms. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.